This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Welcome to episode 42 in a new season in 2023 for the No Stroke Podcast. My name is Dave Dancero. And I'm here with my co-host, Michael Garrow. How are you, Mike? Feeling good to be back on the mic, David. It's been a couple of weeks. Feeling rested um, as much as I could have over the, the holiday period. It's been a, a busy period, so I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah. how's the start of the year been for you? Very good. Good. We kind of uh, uh, rest and recharge a little with the family over the break, but now back at it. I've been kind of behind the scenes uh, planning for a couple of new courses and a a long awaited uh, book update to my first book, Body and Balance. So I'm um, going to be doing a bit of a um, a virtual book tour. I did that back in 15, 2015 in the, the last edition. And uh, this time around, I'm going to be doing a little preview webinar coming up on the 23rd. So I'll put that in the show notes, but I'm going to be more, more focused on breaking down some of the uh, key topics in the book um, into courses. And finally, uh, I'm going to be rolling out my Achieve Balance uh, course as part of that. So excited. A lot of work in the background, a lot of brain power, but it's all good. Producing is, uh, it's a different part of the brain. You have to carve out time, but I'm getting it done. So, and um, how about yourself, Mike? What have you been, what do you, what's new with you? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, you know, happy to announce that I am now a uh, engaged man to my fiance, Megan who, you know, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, um, you know, our relationship kind of boiled and and our connection happened through stroke. Um, Megan's mom's a, a stroke survivor as well. Meg's been a caregiver for her, um, you know, her entire adult life. And it's, it's weird how all this kind of comes together. Um, but yeah, couldn't be happier. Uh, we were we flew over to we were in Germany uh, for her birthday. She has some family over in Munich, so surprised her with a trip to Munich for her birthday. And and then the evening of her birthday before dinner, had the ring ready and had a successful proposal. So, well, congratulations. I'm smiling here ear to ear for you. And uh, I didn't want to get too personal. So I'm, I am so glad you announced that for us. And and I'll just share uh, quickly. I, I was really, I had a good belly laugh over the weekend. I sent you the text when I shared the news with my family and especially our, our podcast producer, Jake, when he heard the news, he said, you know, Mike's going to be busy in the coming year, but he said, good thing, good thing. He's got his music for, for, uh, <laughs> for his wedding plan with the no stroke podcast intro. So no, no, <laughs> no pressure, Mike, but Jake's uh, more than welcome to share. All right. I think he'll, as long as he fits in the budget, you know, it's uh, a, <laughs> it'll be a tight one here. Um, but Hey, let's, let's start, you know, getting into this one. So we had a great guest come on to, to kick us off in uh, 2023 here. Um, gentleman by the name of Dr. Michael Struder. Um, you know, he, he was right up your at, you know, David, as a PT, we've been, we've been rolling with some of these physical therapists that we've had on the podcast. And, you know, Mike was right up there as one of the best we've had. Um, you know, I think is yeah. obviously his passion, but you know, his level of expertise when it comes to neuroplasticity, dual test training, you know, there was so much there, um, that he was able to unpack for us. Um, but I think 
more importantly, you know, there's there's a really um, fantastic event that he's going to be speaking at coming up on the 27th of January. Uh, the it's a paid event. Tickets are fifteen dollars, but nominal fee for you know the, the education and you know background that that Mike will be able to provide there. So if you're interested, um, it's through Stroke Awareness Oregon, um, and you could sign up, learn more about that event at www.strokeawarenessoregon.org. Um, David, you know what? This is a you know, might be one of the shorter intros we've had, but I think we need to get into this because it's a fantastic uh, discussion. And, you know, one that actually, you know, Mike reached out through us through our last podcast that we had with Pam. So, you know, again, anyone out there listening who, you know, has guests, suggestions for guests or other folks, you know, if you're interested in coming on, do please reach out. Um, We've just redesigned a, a new website so you could go check us out www.nostrokepod.com um and we'd be happy to to chat with you and, and talk about you know a guest appearance here so yeah without further ado let's bring on mike here dr studer is our guest today dr mike studer if you've if you've been a pt and practicing especially if you're following anything in the neurological space it's hard not to come across any of the work that Mike has been doing. So he's been a PT since 1991. He is an NCS or a neurological clinical specialist since 1995. He's the co-founder and co-owner of Spock Rehabilitation and Wellness in Bend. Um, And he, this is where he's an adjunct professor as well at OSU's DPT program, leading coursework in motor control. Mike was recognized in 2011 as clinician of the year and in, in the neuro, neurological space and in 2014 in the geriatric academies of the both of the APTA. Um, he received the highest honor available in PT in 2020, being distinguished as the Catherine Worthington Fellow of the APTA in 2020. Dr. Studer has authored over 35 articles, six book chapters, and a consultant to Major League Baseball and motor control and pitching and hitting. He talks about that in his interview and his roots in in baseball. And uh, this is something, Mike, we didn't get a chance to talk to him about. And I found this. (laughs) This is definitely a fun, lighthearted note. Mike is also the four-time and current world record holder for the fastest underwater treadmill marathon, a mark that was set most recently in 2020. So we didn't get a chance to, we had so much to cover. We didn't have a chance to ask him. It might be worth getting it back on just for that fun fact, Mike. But uh, um, we'll yeah, put- <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's something that we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that got past us, but we got to, you know, you know, definitely there's something to follow up on, but um, we'll put resources in the show notes because he has a very good Ted talk as well that we want to make sure folks get a chance to watch. And it's uh, it's uh, the title is seeing the potential in brain recovery. So that's a, a, I guess a a good way to introduce him. and let's um, let's get right to it. I mean, he was, he, he, he's, his, he, he was West coast. We were East coast. He was in our morning recording slot that meant he was up and ready to go at 5 a.m and he, i think he really <laughs> he brought it absolutely let's bring him on hi and welcome to the no stroke podcast mike nice to have you here thanks so much uh, i'm glad to be here absolutely so you are kicking us off to to start off the new year um as our first guest and you know those watching on youtube we all 
we all got the memo for, to wear the blue shirts today as well. So we're looking sharp. Um, Mike, for, for our audience, you know, you're, you've been in this stroke space for a long time, PT since 91, you know, you, you've been really heavily involved in, I think our first guest actually have a Ted talk. So congratulations on that. Oh, very good. Um, but for our listeners, can you just give a bit of a backstory? Um, you know, your background, what, what got you into the stroke care space, um, and really where your passion lies right now. Sure. Uh, so I entered physical therapy school in 1988 with no aspirations of working in stroke rehabilitation whatsoever. I was going to be joining uh, anything that I could to get on with a major league baseball team. And uh, when I got into PT school, as many of us do, uh, we get the opportunity to volunteer and, uh, uh, and even in preparations to get into PT school, uh, clinical rotations thereafter, I got a chance to watch what the brain could do uh, when someone had sustained an injury, uh, stroke, um, traumatic brain injury. Uh, even into the spinal cord injury in the central nervous system. And when I could place the difference between helping someone run the bases faster uh, and being able to walk at all, it was done. Uh, I was ready to go full on into neurologic rehabilitation. And the neuroplasticity uh, that's available for people uh, with stroke is just so fascinating to me and has compelled me ever since and will continue to. That's a great, uh, great intro and background. And it's, I always am fascinated by, you know, PTs, why when they come into this profession and much like yourself, I thought I was, I, I was wanted to follow everything hockey <laughs> and I was very much, uh, but the brain for, for my own, why was a little bit different. And then, uh, you know, uh, waking up to a stroke certainly uh, brought me down a different path. I'm going to dive into it, but you're, you know, you're, you're our, first of all, your second PT in a row, you followed Pam Duncan earlier. And I know you, you know, you know, Pam as yeah. well. Very um, honored to be mentioned with her. Yeah. But, but you, you are right there, my friend, you, um, you know, everywhere I turn for our, we have, we certainly have a, uh, a following of, um, uh, rehab professionals as well. But if, you know, I know you call yourself also, uh, a neuro nerd and <laughs> mm -hmm. self-proclaimed. We seem to attract that on our show and that's a great mm -hmm. thing. Um, and for, you know, we're going to put all your information in the show notes, but I just, I just, for, as a quick example, you know, you can't open up anything related to rehab and neuro. <laughs> I just opened this article on PT products online. And then we have post-stroke dual task rehab and we have our friend, Mike Studer here today. So yeah. Yeah. we're going to dive you, into all that, but, um, you have, um, you also have an upcoming, you have an upcoming event that, uh, that I want to make sure we mentioned at the beginning, but um, can you tell us about your local, you know, your advocacy efforts and what you're doing with um, it's um, stroke, uh, stroke, stroke awareness, Oregon, correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm very blessed to be uh, related to and involved with the group. Uh, so this was uh an idea on my part to help to raise awareness for stroke. This group does a really great job of getting the concept of fast out uh, to be preventative for stroke, but they also have uh, uh, an exceptional support group and they have a lot of great materials, reading materials and a book out uh, that is just fascinating about the different individuals' lives and how stroke caused them to pivot. And so um, I wanted to help to raise awareness. I suggested to them that we do uh, a 
conference that was really directed at uh, the person that is recovering from stroke and dealing with stroke, so uh, as well as their caregivers, rather than coming out and uh, doing a webinar that I could uh, for practitioners, I'm doing one that's focused on January 27th at 10 o'clock Pacific time, it's on a Friday. Uh, that is going to be on expanding your health span after stroke. Because David and Michael, there's so much out there that really helps us understand that what you endure from your stroke can actually redouble itself in what you think you can't do and what you choose not to do, uh, the inactivity that you place upon yourself due to fear uh, and due to uh, basically societal impacts of what you're expected to be able to do and not be able to do. And so the research has become so clear on what just a moderate amount of exercise per week can do to uh, reduce your all-cause mortality and so many things peripheral to that, that um, I'm doing this as a complete benefit to them, taking no honorarium, and I'm just really passionate about uh, delivering the presentation and interacting with people on that webinar. That's great, and it's so important. Mike, you know, like, you know, with your wealth and knowledge, being able to bring this in, and, and I think in your, the TED Talk I listened to, um, it really came across with, you know, that impact that you see with the patients, right? And like, one thing that stuck out to me is when, you know, and I'd love to kind of dive deeper into this topic of neuroplasticity and kind of that, the fact that, you know, stroke patients often get handed the, the, the card of saying, this is where you're at, you know, your PT is stopped, you've hit this, you know, plateau, which mm -hmm. we, we don't like saying, but is a thing that needs to be discussed, right? Because, Again, from the evidence point of view, it's showing this isn't true. And, mm -hmm. and ultimately, you know, we're now in the in the realm of where, you know, provider um, payers and, you know, insurers are only reimbursing to a point, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's it, there's a lot of factors that are coming into this. But from a science perspective, you know, it's shown this isn't true, right? Like you could push past this. There, there will be recovery. And one really interesting thing that I picked up on and I'd love for you to dive, maybe kind of talk about this a little bit deeper. Um, when there are those small, like, you know, you're doing a, a movement that let's take spasticity, for instance, and you've been able to move your arm that bit more than or kind of get past that degree angle, a release of dopamine, which ultimately mm -hmm. then kind of triggers that, you know, from a patient's point of view, like, hey, all right, there's something in this for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And to go back to, you know, your training in baseball, I've trained, you know, for a, a, a semi-pro career in basketball as well. And that, that really connected. Cause I never heard, you know, someone talk about that connection. Right. And it's so true when you think about training for something, you know, you hit that next step, you know, for me, you know, I was able to hit however many, you know, 10, 15 shots in a row. It's like, boom, and something clicks, and then you have that next step and that next goal. So I'd love for you to kind of take that from a stroke survivor's lens and provide maybe some examples that you've seen um, in practice and, and kind of dive into this topic. Yeah, Michael, that's a fabulous uh, statement and series of questions that you pose there. Um, let me tell you something that's not unique about people that have had a stroke. People that have had a stroke are people. Mm-hmm. Just pausing on that for a second. Uh, 
we are all motivated by uh, hope, by the fact that we can make uh, a permanent, impactful change that's functionally meaningful. We're also people that have not and have had a stroke motivated by gamification. Uh, so when we see numbers, Michael, you were talking about, you know, I'm just imagining you hit 10 free throws in a row uh, and you want to shoot for a goal of 92% on the season, something like that. People that have had a stroke need to be given the permission to also be hopeful, right? Uh, so we have articles that have clearly demonstrated that neuroplasticity is viable at least more than five years post-stroke. Uh, now, when I came out of school, no fault of professors, fellow practitioners, uh, clinical instructors, uh, we thought, you know, and I literally heard this 30 days. 60 days, everything you can get in the first three months, everything you can get in the first six months, everything you can get in the first year. And then after that, you know, and the truth is this dopamine is rewarding and essential for us to make motor learning happen. That's absolutely true. And motor learning really is ultimately tied to and inseparable from neuroplasticity, the word that we're all looking at here that we have benefited from since 2002, three, four, right in there, right? So if we know that we can make a change in the very spot in your brain that was injured, and you can be hopeful that more change can be made, then what are my limits? Number one, I can make improvements. Number two, even an individual that has endured a stroke some time ago, I can not only still tap into neuroplasticity, but as we were alluding to just moments ago with David, the amount of disability that happens because of what I have not subjected myself to, going back to the lecture that I'll provide on the 27th, there are a lot of gains that can be made just with peripheral capacities, my muscular strength, my muscular endurance, uh, my balance, my dual task tolerance, all those things. So what's so fascinating here with what you said is we have ways to be able to help someone uh, that is recovering uh, post-stroke in so many different ways that are neurologically related and peripherally related that we can show them they're making gains. And when I have a surprising change, I get dopamine. When dopamine happens, those nerves begin to communicate to one another and say, that was a great sensation. What can we do to experience that again? And that's just a short microcosm of what we talk about there. You, Mike, you gave me, when you were, uh, when you first described, you know, you started with hope. Um, and, and that, what you just said, I, I just actually got chills there because that's, you don't know how many times I see patients come in to see me over the years and they've lost that. Mm -hmm. They've lost that. And to reignite that spark and then to, so that was number one. And number two, when you talked about actually backing backing it up to know exactly pinpoint exactly where that insult happened in the brain is so, so critical in learning, learning about what you need to do next. And it's okay that you're not able to achieve this milestone right now, because this is going to 
take time. And, and, and I was trained the same way. We're, we're right in that same area where, and you've gone on and, and really, uh, you know, led the charge in this area, but I was, you know, I was trying to, trying to train, train the same way that, you know, six months, your window, and then, you know, I hate to use the term as good as it gets. And I'm so glad that, you know, with our understanding of the neuroscience and especially what, you know, what Mike played a really good example about that training effect and the release of dopamine. And we know now setting the stage for success. And that's why um, I, I really, I really like the title of the presentation you're going to make, but I also, you know, we, we need to treat this over the lifespan. Right. And, and the um, I, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to d dive into like what, how that training also has to be meaningful. And you used, I think, I don't know if it was in your, your Ted talk, but you talked about demand. This is a demand and supply. Mm -hmm. This is definitely a demand and supply component to, to, to targeting neuroplasticity. Can you talk to about to that a little bit more? Yeah. Thank you for cueing that, uh, David. That's so important to me. So probably about 15 years ago, let's see, is that right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's going to be 19 years ago. Uh, I started um, phrasing neuroplasticity in this demand and supply model fashion. And I completely pivoted that off of what we all think about in terms of a capitalistic society, supply and demand for obvious reasons. It's something that's kind of a, a memory anchor for us and it's easy for us to remember the terms. If we don't demand the faculties coming from the person that is recovering from a stroke, if we don't demand that they challenge some of those faculties that they're missing, how can we ever expect the brain through its neuroplastic capacities to supply it? So it's very simple. It comes into, um, I experience involuntary tone when I'm in high pressure situations. Well, that means one of the things that we can do is systematically just like you would in vestibular rehabilitation, habituate the person to modest and increasingly higher pressure situations. I can't tolerate distractions. My arm begins to posture when I walk. I'm going to systematically habituate you there. Um, I don't have the capacity to be able to uh, balance because when I lose my balance to the left, um, I don't really have a platform, a base of support. Well, if I don't ever demand it and I allow that person to be asymmetric and weight shifting entirely to their right, then I cannot expect the brain to supply it. So you could go on and on from left neglect, pusher syndrome, uh, where I'll actually push someone toward the left and have them push me back uh, toward, the, uh, toward the right. So if I don't demand it and I don't increase some of the errors that they're experiencing in the same direction that they're experiencing. I'm going to put a platform, uh, maybe like a flipper underneath your foot, uh, an actual swim fin underneath your foot that you have foot drop with. If I don't demand it, your brain's never going to have the stimulus to supply it. And I could go on and on about that concept, but it's really a, a very large area of passion. And I think it actually comes back to the one other thing that I want to answer for you about this when you're talking about knowing the specific area of the brain. So all I have to do is be an expert in the brain, understand the patient's presentation, create a program that helps to demand that specific area of the brain, give me a little bit more, just enough so that they still see some hope and not so much that they feel insurmounted, right? Yeah, that's 
I love the flipper example. I, I could just picture my my mom has a foot drop and I can imagine just what that would be like for. But you know what? It's it's those things like, you know, the experience of what you've, you've had in clinic that, you know, it, they work, you know, and, and it's, it's funny because, you know, we've, we've had a lot of folks on recently and, you know, there's the talk of obviously bringing rehab into the home and virtual reality for stroke impairment, right? Um, I, I would just be curious, kind of your lens on that, you know, being such a hands-on therapist, you know, but when you think about reps, reps, you know, could be supportive through getting some of these devices into the home. Um, have you kind of explored any of these like tele rehab programs or kind of practical ways to, to get rehab into the home without the actual physical presence of the PT? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I mean, I was a practice owner in 2020 and uh, we had 17 clinicians. Uh, and I can recall distinctly by the time we hit the third week in April of 2020, uh, we were nearly all virtual and I dove into it and became uh, as proficient as I could in all things uh, telehealth. And I was delivering um, nine visits a day to persons with neurologic impairment in a telehealth manner. And, uh, you know, being able to actually watch, and I could still sit here and, and think, you know, I've got a patient who experiences genuine curvatum and she's got her home treadmill and she's got her iPad right up by the console of the treadmill. And I say, I want you to walk in a manner that I can't see you. I want you to duck below uh, the iPad so you're out of the camera because I want her to experience some crouch walking. So here I am applying the optimal theory of motor learning by Wolf and Luthwaite, external focus. I don't want to tell her, don't snap your knee back. Uh, you know, I'm doing that in tele-rehab. And I'll tell you, um, Michael, the thing that translates throughout all forms of rehabilitation, whether I'm in the home, or I'm with someone, or they're in an acute care setting, the thing that translates is uh, when we can actually identify with this person and we can help them, it doesn't matter whether it's virtual reality or not. As long as it's a program that's engaging for this individual, I have a vehicle when I've got their attention and intensity, and I can demonstrate some effect so that they can see an objective change, I can use any tool. I could go in with an ACE wrap and a, a small base quad cane and probably treat almost any person with stroke. But if I'm given the luxury of some of the tools and that's something that's engaging for them, great. But the highest degree of tool that cost me $100,000, if I don't have that person engaged, makes no difference whatsoever. That That's well said, Mike. Um, and 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 like you like you were describing in the telehealth scenario you can still get excited about that that communication and that engagement and and using that example of crouching while you're walking i'd love to kind of turn the turn the conversation a little bit towards another passion and and the idea of of dual tasking and how that how that relates to you know maybe bringing back some of that um sort of that bringing movement into the background. I know that's a term that you really have mastered and, 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 yeah. and talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Hey, thank you for dropping that. There's <laughs> going to be a few listeners that are going to be just chuckling. Uh, some of my patients are going to end up listening to this and they know that I dropped that seed uh, of movement in the background quite a bit. I actually hold a U.S. patent on that phrase, as a matter of fact. So uh, that's so interesting. So to me, 
if movement before your stroke did not require conscious allocation of attention, my ability to walk, uh, my ability to make a balance reaction, how I get out of bed, how I perform sit to stand. I don't sit there and calibrate and think when I'm going to heel strike, how much longer my stance phase is going to be. That movement has to be in the background. So David, if I'm going to suggest that I am going to tap into all the potential of the individual that has sustained a stroke in front of me, I've got to make every effort to ensure that that movement can be pushed as much to the background as possible so I can capitalize on their potential. The only way that we can automatize a movement we think about creating a procedural memory is if we can go through the same steps that we did to automatize movement in the first place. You certainly, when you're three years old, think about brushing your teeth and where that toothbrush is going, but pretty soon that movement's in the background. How? Why? You think about your first steps when you're 12 months old and when people distract you and they start clapping and you see your dog running across, you fall down. Movement becomes a function that's in the background as an attribute or function again of our life's demands. So that because I still need to chase after my dog, because I still need to check my look in the mirror, have a conversation, listen to someone while I'm brushing my teeth, those movements get pushed to the bath background as a function of what we need to continue to do. So if I am a complete practitioner for my patient that I value, then I need to make certain that I'm using the demand and supply model to push their movement in the background. So I want to, this is what's really interesting. I want to actually use constraint-induced movement therapy. I'm going to constrain your attention, and I'm going to put that arm wrap around your attention. So you have to choose to use your movement in the background. I'm going to borrow your attention over here so you can't use it on the movement, right? And so then that externalizes, follows with Wolf and Luthwaite. Uh, I'm going to be goal-focused, goal-oriented. And the reality is that enables the person to function in the world again. It enables them, once they've been challenged with distractions intentionally, to be able to tolerate distractions uh, when they are functioning outside the clinic walls. So that's as short as I could make that very passionate area. Uh, but thanks for the question. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, and, and do you teach that? Is that a, I know it's a personal passion. I mean, you have a trademark in it. Is it a course you you, you teach to other PTs? Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. Um, I teach about 12 different courses across the neuro continuum. And dual tasking is one of those that I'll either put as a seed within a 12 hour course um, or as a standalone course. And people can learn about my uh, uh, the courses that I offer. I'm sure you guys might put some things in show notes, et cetera. So I don't want to go on about that. But yes, sir, uh, I'm very passionate to teach that. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you might be getting some hits on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's take a short break here um we'll get back into the conversation here with mike in a minute um but and i think we're after that we'll dive into our why and kind of hit a little bit onto the event that you have coming up as well so we'll be right back hey there no stroke listeners whether this is your first episode you've tuned into or you've been a loyal listener since episode one dave and i are super thankful you're choosing to spend some time with us today a goal of ours this year is to learn more about our listeners. After today's show, head over to our new website, nostrokepod.com. 
That's K-N-O-W-S-T-R-O-K-E-P-O-D.com and choose an option in the drop-down titled, What's Your Connection to Stroke? If you have a topic or want to recommend a guest for the show, we've also made it easy for you to simply submit your feedback all on the new website. You could always reach out to David and I personally through our social channels or via email. And all those contact details, including the new link to the website, can be found in the show notes. Thank you. Now let's get back to today's show. Hey, and we're back. Uh, we're here with Mike Studer. Mike, um, before we get to that, our fa- somewhat famous magic wand question. Uh, one one little ad or one little question about the, there's a lot of, um discussion around the volume that it takes to drive neuroplasticity and you mentioned some really good things there before we went to break specifically around the making there has to be meaning behind this right there has to be we have this demand and demand and supply but how important is the meaningfulness or the the intention or, or, or the attention to the demand that it might make the number, you know, whatever we come out with the number of reps, there's this idea around, and I, I'm kind of, I'm trying to um, frame this around. I think you mentioned in one of your articles or one of your courses around that it's almost as important to have that demand be extremely meaningful to that, to the, to the patient that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's interesting, uh, David, because we talk about the fit model, uh, you know, frequency, intensity, time, and type. And uh, we try to think about everything that we can do to create a dosage for people with stroke. In 2005, uh, 6, 7, a lot of people were following along the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Well, how many reps does it take to actually complete upper extremity recovery in neurologic rehabilitation? Let's get locomotor robotics. Uh, let's get as many repetitions as we can on the treadmill. And what faltered? What faltered is you can have. 10,000 steps per day. And you can still see that individual who's sustained a brain injury or stroke, who's one of the most active individuals in your community, and they walk around in the same very compensated manner. And they might take 10,000 steps a day in your community, very compensated. So repetitions by themselves, David, won't get it done, right? Unless there is an impetus, a stimulus, a demand that creates a brand new supply, 10,000 repetitions, 10,000 hours don't make a difference whatsoever. I was joking on the phone last night before I got on the plane with my cousin, and I said, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours don't work, and I can prove it because I've been singing my whole life, and I still can't sing. So let's get back to your question. So it it is important that we think about the individual's attention and intensity. So we go back to Michael's point, meaningfulness, making a change, hope. And so many times we excuse ourselves saying, well, they're just not motivated to make any more improvement. Well, actually, I'm going to put the fault on the practitioner not being able to tap into the motivation that this individual does have because there's nobody that wants to be disabled from a stroke. So we think about three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I borrow this from Daniel Pink. Does this individual want to get better so that they can be more independent? Autonomy. Does this individual want to look like they walk better? Mastery. Does this individual still want to be a grandfather? 
be employed, be a community volunteer, purpose. Find a way to motivate this individual because the intensity will be emoting, erupting from your ability to motivate them. That's where the dosage is. That's where 10 repetitions of surprise. Oh my gosh, I didn't think I could do that. That's where the dopamine hits comes, not from, uh, you know, walking them up and down and up and down and up and down the hallway. I'm so glad we covered that. I, igniting that passion, finding that why, driving that change. So thank you, Mike. Um, Mike, I, which is uh, a tough thing, though, yeah. right? Like it's a it's a hard thing for a PT. You know, most PTs you, you don't go in there getting taught you know behavioral science, for instance, right? Like it's a it's a strong thing. We we've um, you know talked a lot around the health coaching model, right? And that you know framework of what health coaches could bring into a rehab setting. You know it, and a lot of times it you know, what you just described does fall on the PTs, the OTs, the speech and language. And, and it's an essential part of being a, a great physical therapist or an OT, right? And if you could keep that, but I, you know, and maybe this is a conversation from for a different day, but, you know, I think this role of what you just talked about, that health coach could really have a strong part of that rehab journey for folks, whether yeah, you know, I, that, I that motivational interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's, um, let's take a dive into this here. Um, and we, again, we, we finish up every, every interview with our magic wand. Um, and you know, after that we could, let's just highlight the event again, kind of give you some, some, uh, FaceTime to, for folks to, to know what's coming up for that. Um, but you've, we've kind of started and we've covered so many topics here today, Mike. Um, and I think your last point around, you know, that, that why, um, really covers the magic wand for you but yeah we talked about your love for met for getting to the major leagues kind of getting shot down and and mm -hmm. realizing this dream of uh really seeing people like help people um which is you know obviously connects with david and i so much um and then you you know you've you've worked with this population of people i like the way you describe that right not just strokes of everyone same motivation so um, you know, we're going to hand you this magic wand today, Mike, and you're going to have the opportunity off the years of expertise and, and, you know, passion that you've brought into this space to take that and redesign what stroke care pathway could look like. Yeah, that's a very interesting one. And, and, and I'll speak across the allied health professions, PT, OT, and speech. And I'll tell you that stroke is the most heterogeneous diagnosis that we have. We have one label that encompasses anything from someone to lose their vision, to being locked in, to being uh, unable to uh, speak, unable to actually, able to speak, but unable to form words, uh, unable to walk, all of those different presentations within one condition. So here's my magic wand. Across all of those PTOT speech, I would hope that stroke care is transformed so that the practitioners that are in stroke rehabilitation, they get the privilege, Michael and David, the privilege to help someone recover from stroke are people that, number one, understand the science of neuroplasticity 
And number two, are willing to take the time to dive in to learn the person and find out what motivates them. And number three, they are a practitioner that can look at the attributes of the brain that are missing and create an infused demand on that supply. Because let me tell you, if you occasionally see a person with stroke because they got assigned to your caseload and you're in an outpatient clinic, that's what I would hope in a magic wand doesn't happen again. Because the opportunity for this person to effect a change through your hands, your mind, the tasks that you create for them is something that is an absolute crime to waste. And I end my uh, TED talk with that whole concept that neuroplasticity is a terrible thing to waste. And so I'm going to drop it right there and say my, my magic wand is that we don't waste neuroplasticity anymore because we have a practitioner that doesn't care about it. Um, it's not their specialty. So if you don't care about uh, neuroplasticity and it does not excite you, you really should recuse yourself from providing care from a per for a person post-stroke. You should be finding another practitioner in a different clinic, in a competitor with you that does. I'm so, so grateful that you said that, Mike. And, and I can't think of a, a, a better way to to end and a magic wand starting off the new year that that um offers that advice from especially from someone that you know you can't you can't go anywhere looking for um education on neuroplasticity and neural recovery without seeing and hearing your name so we, it, for us to be able to to help uh expand your voice and the great work that you're doing uh mike did mention he wanted to is there um anything that we didn't cover especially on this upcoming event that um you know you want to we want to talk to before we we come to a close here today well i'll just tell you very briefly i i pivot the concept from dr peter atia on health span uh and you know we talk about how to live longer lifespan. Uh, this talk, I am going to completely focus uh, on the quality of life that can be recaptured, not just stroke rehabilitation, but the learned non-use effects uh, of what has transpired and what can still be possible and plausible for people. So I'm going to be talking about health span. Um, I'll be looking forward to how many different, uh, you know, voices uh, that we have on that call because I want to be interacting with people. So on January 27th at uh, one o'clock Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, expanding your health span, uh, you know, really is going to be the focus. And I'll direct it toward people with stroke uh, and their caregivers, but I'm welcoming practitioners alike to be on the call. It's a very inexpensive $15 registration. I'm sure you guys will share that in the show notes. I take no honorarium from it whatsoever, and I just want to elevate uh, the capacities and hope that's still viable for people post-stroke to just get out there for physical activity in however that defines it for you so that you can elevate your health span link and i think it's a fascinating you know time for for people to get involved here um we you know we we really do thank you for your time today mike um you know i it's been great chat and i and i think it'd be you know you'd be a great person to have come back on sometime this year to to dive deeper into some of these topics but 
best of luck with the event. Um, again, we'll we'll be sharing. So hopefully some some no stroke listeners will be tuning into that. Excellent. Thank you both so much for what you are doing and contributing. Uh, it was an honor to be with you today. And uh, thank you to your listeners for their time as well. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Take care.